Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. The Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog that focuses on the ritualized year, folklore, and history, lovingly researched and recorded by your hosts, Margot and Sonia. Hi, my name is Margot, and I have a master's degree in American history with a focus on Indigenous studies. And I'm Sonia, and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Baba Yaga Project uh, podcast. We are back after our week-long hiatus, and uh, if there's some background noise and weirdness happening on this episode, please forgive us. It should be our last episode where we are recording in separate locations, and um, because of that, I am outside. There is construction happening in the building that Sonia is at right now. So uh, there, the, the, the sound quality might be a little weird, but we are waiting on some equipment to arrive. And next week, we should be in the same place in, in one room that we can control the setting of. And sound and everything should be uh, even better than before. Um our second announcement is just that we should, in the nearish future, have some brand new, super quality content coming out to you um, in a different format. So look forward to that. Um, third little thing is I really just want to thank our patrons super quick because, like I said, we are waiting on some equipment to make everything with Baba Yaga better than ever and that is entirely thanks to our patrons so far all of our patreon money has gone back into this equipment um just to get our our sound quality up and to make sure that we can record in the same place with each other and that we can get this new and improved content out to you guys um, as soon as possible. So we're super, super excited about that. And we're super thankful to our patrons sort of building off this whole patron theme. Um, we are super excited. We really want to get some live streams and AMAs and stuff going soon. Um, so if you're interested in that, please check out our Patreon. Um, because once we get enough sort of people going there, we can get those things happening. Uh, we're really excited about it. Uh, I also we also have a Discord server um, available to patrons, um, and I'm going to be hanging out on that when I am working on Bobby Yaga stuff, our research. I can chat to you about like what I'm doing and what we've got going on. So please. Please, please, please check out the Patreon. We're, we're super excited about the things that are happening there. So, and we're in one place. We are together. We are not moving or ill-ish anymore. So things should be uh, making a big turnaround from the disaster that was July for us. So we are... We're super excited. We're super excited about new slash different content that we're hoping to bring out um, in the next couple months and about uh, what we're doing with the pod. So yeah, hold tight on this episode. It's going to be sort of quick and dirty, um, but next week coming to you all new from one room. Very excited. Uh, but with yeah, a real get- sound mixer. It's going to be great. We're also, awesome. uh, I just wanted to be amazing. 
I'm pretty echoey. Just moved into a new apartment. Uh, there's construction going on in my apartment. But uh, it's going to get better, as Margot said. You can definitely hear the concrete drill right now. Also, uh, I did want to apologize to all of our listeners and anyone who follows us on social media and especially our patrons. July was mostly my fault for why we were not terribly active on there because I was I I have been quite ill (laughs) through July uh it was not COVID it was not it's it's all taken care of now though like I'm I'm better I'm fine but I was uh not doing great but and we've sorted it out I've taken my well yeah I uh, I also moved countries so (laughs) between being very very sick and moving to a new country, I dropped off social media because I uh, was having a hard time, like, staying awake. <laughs> and it's uh, all good. not, you know, like, ret- retaining food in, in a, after I'd, I'd eaten it. So <laughs> now that that problem seems to be solved, um, yeah, things are looking forward. great. We're, we're looking to the future now. So everything's going to be... Just like the we're people back. we're going to talk about in this episode. Exactly. We're back Just in one was country, a transition. in one city. We're going to be in one room soon. It's it's We're fully vaxxed, ready but to we're go, gonna... making content for y'all. But also, we're moving forward. Just like the people who we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Because this is the coming of age slash adolescence episode where you are moving forward into your future. So... Woo. Let's do this. I have to speed run my portion of this. There will be more content up about it uh, because of the drilling. So <laughs> let's go. Go for it. Let's do it. Okay. So basically what you have is for a lot of antiquity, there is a very defined, like rigid, you are a child, you have now come of age situation. So if we take a look at, say... Um, the Greek coming of age rituals. All right. So basically, if you were a girl in ancient Greece and you were maybe 12, 13, 14 years old, depending on time, depending on context of where you are living, you would reach that age and then you would have your rite of passage where you would take your childhood dolls and toys and dedicate them to the goddess Artemis, who was the goddess of virginity, or you would dedicate them to Aphrodite, who is the uh, goddess most concerned with, you know, love and marriage. Right. So the idea was you would take your childish things and you would set aside those childish things. You would say, you know, here I am giving these up to the goddess and I am now going to be a woman. This would often also involve a change of clothes. So, for example, when Greek girls in ancient Greece, would become a woman mm-hmm. in this ceremony, you would swap out from wearing children's clothes and you would then put on a, a garment called a recta, mm-hmm. which means an upright tunic because it was woven on an upright loom rather than, like, say, a hand loom or, or a, a horizontal room, loom. Um... When we look at Roman coming-of-age rituals, it was more so focused on young boys who were coming of age into 
you know, being seen as adults or at least adolescents, um, they would take off their bula, which was a protective amulet that you would be given as a child. And it was supposed to both mark and protect underage youth, basically. And then he would take that and dedicate it to the household gods. He would then assume a man's toga rather than a child's clothing. And he would be enrolled as a citizen on the census and begin his military service. But as we, you know, move into the out of antiquity and into the Middle Ages, these kinds of lines become a bit more blurry, right? So you have, you're kind of stepping away from this exact line in the sand as the Middle Ages progress, essentially. Um, where more and more you don't have this like right. firm divide of like you are a child, you are a man, or like you are a girl, you are now a woman. It becomes this much more fluid time of your life where you are seen as sort of a youth, an adolescent, <laughs> a a maiden, right? Mm -hmm. um, and for a lot of people, this stage of life, rather than like this. This is when we start seeing it more so become its own stage of life. Because before you kind of had, you are a child, you are an adult. And in the Middle Ages, we start to see more and more this idea of the adolescent. Um, there were still like actual age-based, you know, kind of coming of age rituals, especially in the upper classes um for example if you look at knighthood right like you couldn't become a knight until you were you couldn't be knighted um typically until you were like late teens early 20s so like that would maybe be more of a transition to like full adulthood in that kind of social circle but for the most part the big like division like the big coming of age thing would really be like getting married and then that would be how you would become seen as like a full adult right. in the community um but as we've talked about in previous episodes and we'll talk about more in the future in the middle ages we also see age of first marriage um gets higher and higher than it was in antiquity um it for a variety of reasons mostly to do with a the fact that we see a move away from like fully 100% arranged marriage in the West. That's not to say that there wasn't still like parental involvement and family involvement, but um, again, often, especially once you get the spread of Christianity, there is a big premium put on like marriage is a sacrament. Therefore, both people have to be willing participants and they have to be you know, able to understand the commitment they're making. So you can't, it, it becomes much less common for like a 12 year old girl to get married to, right. you know, a 35 year old man or whatever. Like you want someone who's actually like f <laughs> fully cognizant basically yeah. and uh, fully matured. And the other thing is, especially in Western Europe, we, see the rise at this point of the not quite the single family home yet 
but we see a situation where it becomes more and more normalized to move out of your parents home right so when you get married in a lot of uh, cultures in antiquity and and even up till today when the after the bride and groom are married they will move into the groom's parents home right and you have this like intergenerational household but through the middle ages you in especially in western europe there is a move away from that and towards you know the bride and groom set up their own house right away which means you know in a multi-generational household yeah you can have your wife be a 12 year old girl because realistically (laughs) your mom is still running the household or maybe your grandmother is running the household right like she's doing all of the actual like household management um doing all the all all of these tasks right whereas if you're going to set up on your own you need to marry an adult woman you need to marry someone who has all of the skills she's going to need she needs to know how to weave how to sew how to prepare wool how to prepare linen she needs to know how to keep a garden milk a cow make cheese make butter she needs to be able to be also physically strong enough to carry water carry wood start the fire every like you know keep the fires going in the household hearth she has to be able to make bread she has to be able to make you know basic household repairs she also needs to be able to do things like figure out you know how much food do we need to survive through the winter she needs to know how to gather and grow medicinal herbs and also needs to know how to do like all of like yeah. the family nursing care and like basic first aid medical care like it is an incredibly varied and it's just it's an enormous skill set to be able to effectively run a home when like your technology <laughs> you know you, you don't have a Roomba yeah you don't have a slow cooker you don't even have like you know, it, like even things that we completely take for granted, like, oh, yeah, I can get vegetables that yeah. I didn't have to grow at the supermarket. Like, so this is, I mean, this is really all of your food, your clothing, all of the, like, any sheets, linens in the home, all of the food preservation, all of the food storage. Basically, all of that is the woman of the house's role. So again, because you have this delayed marriage age, because you suddenly need your (laughs) wife to be an adult, um, you get more and more of this adolescent stage. And you kind of get this question of, okay, well, so what do we do with these people who clearly are not literal children, but who also are not necessarily financially or emotionally or physically ready to go and start their own household well we see a big rise in basically children the children like i say like teenagers right like you know even starting as young as 13 14 you are uh being sent out to work so you might get an apprenticeship with someone often 
especially if you are a boy, although there were some apprenticeships that a girl could do sometimes in some cases. Um, you know, maybe you could be taken in by like a female brewer and learn how to brew beer, you know, in, in a particular way that wasn't just like, I don't know, yeah. like the, the regular home brew, right? Um, and typically at this age, again, not to say that there weren't apprenticeships in the in antiquity in the classical world, but like this becomes sort of its own like life stage where it becomes very normal for like the life stage that we would see as like teenagers and early 20s. Um, you're either taking on an apprenticeship if your family has the money and the means to pay for it, or you hire yourself out as a laborer of some kind. So for women, that often means working as maids, working as servants, doing domestic work, or uh, you might work on a farm, like in, you might do f certain categories of farm yeah. work, such as, you know, you might be a milkmaid, right? So your job would then be you're working on a farm away from your parents, away from your, you know, um, your, your family in a lot of cases, and you're bringing in some amount of money. Um, so then that means that you're able to save up some cash so that you'll be able to start your own home when you do meet someone and marry and, you know, you're ready for that stage of life. Uh, same with boys. If they weren't going to go into an apprenticeship, they would often become, you know, day laborers or farm laborers. They might help with, you know, they might be hired, hire themselves out to go work. Mm -hmm. Uh, for somebody like shearing sheep or working to bring in the harvest seasonally. So that was essentially what it became was this sort of chance for you to maybe in a lot of cases move away from your home village. Again, it was especially prominent in a lot of Western Europe um, in, in order A, to earn some money, B, learn some skills and C, possibly make some new connections and like meet new people because you know uh you've probably met everybody in the village by the time you're 13 or 14 years old and if none of them are really marriage prospects for you it doesn't hurt to maybe <laughs> move like two villages over go keep house for maybe a Maybe a wealthier, like, yeoman or whatever. And then, you know, you maybe, you maybe get to rub elbows with a new crowd. So that was essentially a lot of what adolescence looked like through the Middle Ages and into, like, well into the early modern period. It was very normal for, you know, it, it, similarly to how we would think today of, like, going away to college or university, like there it's like oh you go away to become a maid or an apprentice and you know you learn new skills in a new place and that's pretty much what you would be doing until you hit that milestone of get married start your own household have kids etc um and and even for people who for whatever reasons um did not get married you know, typically you would find a more permanent position, right? Or like a, a permanent living situation, whereas adolescence tended to be marked by 
so- somewhat right. more uh, somewhat more impermanent like it, it was seen still as this sort of transient stage of okay you are in the process of learning to become a blacksmith or you are you know a maid working in a household but you're not going to be doing that forever because you know we we understand that you're probably going to stay with us for maybe a few years and then you're going to move on right and that's what that looked like yeah and now i'm going to turn it over to marco Okay, so I am going to continue this conversation by talking about our sort of lack of firm moment of coming of age uh, and sort of how we created this space that exists between child and officially being an adult and how that's gotten sort of so fuzzy and weird. Um, So, right, Sonia has just gone through what happens, you know, after you, like, officially become an adult and you have these moments where, like, there is a a real transition um, into, like, early adulthood. And I'm going to talk about how that sort of, like, falls apart. So, essentially, I'm talking specifically about the concept of a teenager and this development of youth culture. And... If what I'm talking about, like, really excites you, you're, like, really into it, um, our book club for uh, this next month, for the month of August, is going to be um, the book that I used as sort of the main source for this episode. It's called Teenage, the Creation of Youth, Cu- youth Culture. Well, Teenage, the Creation of Youth Culture. Um, it's super fun awesome little text so check out the book club and um i'm gonna have that up by the end of the week the sort of um rundown of what that book is about um so when we talk about teenagers now uh, we tend to mostly be thinking about the concept that arrived like after the like during the post-war years um so after world war ii when we have the development of suburbs and high school and like youth and teenager as a marketing demographic. Um, But the concept of the teenager or the not yet adult has existed for at least a hundred years before that process started. Um, So like with a lot of things that we've been talking about in the past few months, um, where we're talking about like human development, Um, these changes that led to the creation of this concept really started to pop up um, as a result of major shifts happening in the 19th century. Um, So once again, the Industrial Revolution really threw everyone for a loop. So yeah, again, the Industrial Revolution really just threw everyone for a loop and sort of derailed the way that humanity had been existing for millennia. yeah, it was a big time. Um, so yeah. a couple of things that started happening in the 19th century that result in quickly changing ideas about youth and the young, even children, um, is mainly right the development of factories. So the Industrial Revolution factories happen, and because of factories, we have this radical shift in the human landscape. Um, right, We have people moving from these sort of large, spread out rural areas areas small villages you know in the sort of center of these like rural spaces um to hundreds of thousands of people crammed into these newly developing urban spaces that are not equipped to handle them and the society 
and like social structures that existed in this rural environment no longer exist in this new urban space. Um, so there are a couple of reactions that are happening kind of simultaneously that create this idea that we have of like youth culture and specifically of teenagers. So the first that is a little more sort of tangentially related is, is more related to the idea of like, um, like the young having their own sort of culture and being cool essentially, uh, is the romantics, uh, right. So this is capital R romantics, not like, uh, Romeo and Juliet or like I want to fall in love but romantics like let's yeah. get drunk and write about how our feelings are actually storms on the high seas or winds blowing across heather and we're all haunted by the ghosts of young people who died too soon those kind of romantics <laughs> yeah so yeah, this like major just, theme that yes yes yeah this major Name theme is running through romantic, romantic literature at, and theater at this time is um essentially they're just like really into tb so like a lot of people are dying of tuberculosis and the romantics being disturbed young men who are drinking too much yeah they think it's like super they dope um everyone's it? like really into Please stop. Please stop. Do, do, Please they, stop. do they romanticize it? <laughs> so, <laughs> so they uh get in that dumpster. Sorry, I belong in the trash. Um, everyone gets like really into Keats, right? He was a romantic poet and he died like was he like twenty five from yeah, yeah complications from tuberculosis um but the idea of like these wasting diseases that can kill you very young where you stay sort of young and beautiful for all of eternity uh right it becomes this big thing for these bros essentially it's just a bunch of drunk bros um so like yeah you can look at this like idea of like the forever youth and you can look at like the romantic vampire that pops up at this time this is where we get you know our Anne Rice and Twilight inspiration comes from the writings about vampires that happen at this time and other sort of like ghosts and hauntings and nonsense um yeah, before the 19th century, <laughs> vampires were, like, horrifying undead monsters who were going to, like, drain you of blood and leave your desecrated corpse. They were, yeah, you no, were not going to fall like in love with Yeah, no, they became, like, sexy them. in this period. Um, because they were, like, yeah. young forever. Yeah. Prior and, to this, they were and pale extremely and, like, not you know, sexy. Whatever. Anyway, um, the other thing that happens is uh, you have... A lot of anxiety about youths being out on the street, um, causing trouble and getting into mischief. Yep. Um, and a few things sort of like cause this anxiety, um, right? Again, mentioning we have the this new urban environment. So families are moving into this urban environment. They they don't have the societal structures that existed before you don't have um yeah these 
rural societies that are like very tight knit and supporting each other. It's just a lot of people, you know, possibly from all over the world coming into this urban center, just sort of being stacked on top of each other and working in in factories. So not in these community spaces where, you know, you're you're farming together, harvesting together. You have a lot of leisure time to like be with each other. And you also like have probably yes. lived there yes. for so generations. It's... So like, you know, to, to go back to what I was talking about before. Yeah. Like maybe as a teenager, you know, you would move like a few villages over and you maybe wouldn't be like super acquainted with everyone in town. We would almost certainly have like, ah, yes, like I, my great aunt lives down the street and I have an uncle who lives, you know, there and like maybe some cousins. So like you were never really like that far removed from yeah. like people who you knew and people who you could like yeah trust to a certain degree you know versus rapid urbanization which was just like a free-for-all just like we yeah and especially with where, the um, sort of mass migrations that happened in the late 19th century uh it's entirely possible that you're living on top of somebody who yeah. speaks a language that you don't understand um that you're working with people who come from a culture that you are not at all familiar with um things like that so the the societal structures really break down there um and the the social aspects of what it means to be to grow up to become a member of that society no longer exists so there's you have this breakdown of the the coming of age rituals the strict divides and responsibilities um of marriage rituals all of these things sort of break down as a society um, urbanizes. Um, you also have at this period um, the progressive movement where there is a mass movement against child labor uh, because again of this factory setting and children being injured in these factories and it just like generally not being a good place for kids to be but being the only work that is available in these urban areas. Um, so you have this move against child labor, which for a period displaces older children, right? So there isn't yet formal compulsory education, yeah. but also they cannot be working. So there's just a lot of, of youths out on the street. Um, and this does it on a level eventually lead to compulsory education bills. There's obviously like a lot of other things that go into this and contribute to uh, the development of compulsory education. Um, but you can check that out on our episode from almost exactly a year ago in September uh, about schools <laughs> and why the school year looks the way that it does. Um, but yeah, so there's... There's a lot of uh, people sort of out on the street, and as we talked about with like the the boy, the grow like the the aging of the boy in our was that our last episode or two episodes ago? Um, we have this, yeah, we have a um, recent episode. These like boy novels and things that are sort of coming up to talk explicitly to this group um, and sort of like deal with these anxieties that are coming out of that um there is this one instance especially that becomes like a, a huge problem uh 
for Americans to deal with, and that was the um, incarceration of Jesse Pomeroy, who was a teenage serial killer. Um, he killed a bunch of younger children in these really sort of horrifying and brutal ways, and people didn't know how to make sense of it or how to understand like how he hadn't been caught for the years that he was out doing this. Um, and yeah. he was sort of like all over newspapers and there were sort of two understandings of it. Either he was completely insane or if he wasn't, then he was just absolute pure evil and that that's what was going to happen to these, you know, young people who were living in these urban areas. And so people really had to, like, confront and deal with, like, what is going on and, like, how do we deal with, like, mass migration and... um like this new society that's based on materialism and consumerism and this like mass production, right? We don't have the moral center that the church would have played in previous generations. Um, and it becomes like this weird, this weird space of like, what, what do we, what do we do with this? Um, so sort of between this idea of like, right. The, um, this like male youth that's sort of you know of working class out in the streets causing trouble um and or like being victimized by this new system right that you see in like dickens novels and things like that um you have that idea of a youth who's yep. obviously no longer a child but also not an adult um, so you have that where it's like clearly this person is still being formed and what's happening to them now is going to influence whether or not they can become a good person or not. Um, you have that idea. You also have then in the sort of um, like owning classes, this romantic ideal, right, of like this great, you're going to be a great poet or artist or whatever like that this is the period where like you, there's so many feelings and you're just like being overwhelmed and that if if you do get sick and are dying like there's a, quite a few people who are like publishing journals of people who died young from like mostly tuberculosis um but there's this idea of having to cram all of these massive feelings that you'll have through your whole life into this period before you turn 25. Um, and so you have this like sort of new idea of, of someone who hasn't actually come of age, but isn't a child anymore. And like, what do we, what do we do with that? Um, and compulsory education is one of the answers. Another answer is, especially for boys, that if left to their own devices, the sort of overwhelming emotions of this period of life would become too much and they'll become violent. Um, and this is where sort of school sports and especially university sports come from. Um, in the... Mm -hmm. 
owning classes in North America, you have a lot of young men who are going away to boarding schools and are going to newly founded universities. Um, and they're getting into all sorts of trouble. I think we mentioned some of the things that happened in medieval uh, Oxford and Cambridge at some point in time in one of our previous episodes, but it, it really goes yeah. bananas in North America with like young men causing all sorts of problems for the towns around these universities. Um, and in order to sort of control them, that's where really like intramural sports start up. And this eventually becomes the university like sporting system um, as a way to deal with young people who aren't fully mature enough to deal with their feelings yet to get all of this energy out in a way that's not going to like destroy everyone um we also have this period where there is more freedom for young people you are more mobile you're in a, a an urban environment so you're not being overseen by parents and the other generations in the way that you mm -hmm. would be in you know rural environments um and as we sort of get into yeah you wouldn't have like the yeah it's like you know because even in i was just gonna say like if you mm -hmm. were a maid right like even if your parents aren't there the people you work for are expected to step into that role and oversee your behavior and same with an apprenticeship right like whoever you're apprenticed to steps into yeah. the role of like guide and caretaker and making sure that you are behaving yourself appropriately um just just to interject that with with you know the way that in medieval and early modern society there were these sort of like quasi i don't want to say parental figures but like supervisors if you will yeah um and we have like as we move into the um like throughout the 19th century and then moving into the 20th century, we have things like technology radically changing very quickly and also ideas uh, about people and how societies function changing really quickly. Um, the beginning of the 19th century, the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century obviously is a period of revolutions. Um, I'm just jumping back in time really quickly just to get this little note in. Um, in the uh, French Revolution, right, when you, you look at the Declaration of the Rights of Man, they have this uh, this statement. Their Article 28 says that one generation can not subject to its law the future generations, right? Um, and as as we like move forward in these new republics right the united states the new republic of france mm -hmm. um and technology is changing and we're entering these urban environments where children aren't being overseen by their parents in the same way where you're getting like shift work and schools are becoming a thing this idea of a generation gap starts to like enter the public mm -hmm. consciousness and that's when we start getting the ideas of like 
youth are in control of their own identities. It's not going to be the, they're not going to have the same ideas as their parents. They're not going to have the same culture even as their parents that like a culture shifts, not just from country to country, village to village or county to county. It's from generation to generation, new ideas are coming up and people are experiencing things differently. Um, and it becomes even like sort of more obvious as you move into the 20th century when you have the introduction of uh, automobiles and then after World War II, the suburbanization and um, the rapid increase of people attending school through the end of high school. Um, so by the late 40s, most people, not most, but a, a majority of people in, in America are attending high school through their final year. So they're, they're going until they're 18 to high school and they have mobility. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get into a car. You have an entire place where everyone essentially is the same age. They're all a youth, right? And uh, this sort of new mass market consumerism of the mid 20th century. And that's when like the term that had been coined earlier in the 19th century of teenager really like becomes a, it becomes a tool in marketing. People start using it as a way to talk about the demographic when they're talking about marketing. Um, and that's when it sort of like mm -hmm. really takes off into the public consciousness of this is an entirely separate thing. This is an, an a whole new space of identity. Um, and, and a whole new like yeah. life stage that hadn't really been considered necessarily its own thing. Yeah. Before. Yeah. And we have this like, so then your space as a young adult moves further into your twenties. Um, and things just become, there's a, a new idea of what it means to be independent, of what it means to set up your own home in your 20s then. Um, everything sort of shifts radically after World War II, and we get a new culture of a teenager. So youth culture had existed um, really from the 19th century yeah. and then become this force that we think of it today as like, ah, being cool and just, I don't know, not chuggy or whatever the youths, I'm not a youth, whatever they're doing now. <laughs> like that whole, that whole idea. That's right. You have fun of out that there. even being a thing really comes into being in the mid 20th century. Um, yeah. Sorry, my ending for this is just nonsense. Yeah, and I think <laughs> No, I I think it's it's really good though because I think like right now we are at this weird like nonsense stage where you know, you're seeing a lot more like think pieces and discussions about well, you know, it, in a way it seems like there's almost this circle back to like we need to adultify kids very quickly yeah. um you know like you you see all the like 
meme reactions going around, right? Where it's like me at 13 and it's like a picture of like a 13 year old who's like kind of gawky (laughs) and has like rainbow braces and pigtails and like glasses that don't quite match their face and a nose they haven't grown into and they're wearing like their camp t-shirt and then contrasted with like 13 year olds today and it's like wow that looks like that that's an instagram model look at look (laughs) at that contour look at those cheekbones and you know this this discussion we're having now where it's like wait 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 maybe this was a really good thing to have a distinct like yeah phase of you are not an adult yet. You are not a actual baby. Like, you're not a child, but you're also not an adult. And I think, you know, I'm going to sound ancient saying this, but, like, you know, being like, yeah, the social media is doing yeah. it. Because, you know, there is just so much more pressure, I think, now on 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 young people in general, but especially, like teenage girls to you know have have this like adult like makeup and hair routine and like know all of the like like know how to do their makeup earlier and earlier and like do their hair up and exist in the public in this very adult manner as well like yeah yeah exactly like just to exist in public is is yeah. a thing right Whereas in previous generations, yeah, I'm not saying they're def like, obviously there has been a lot in the way of like teenage trends and, you know, hair and makeup styles, but this, it, it used to be a lot more distinct in a way that today it really yeah. is becoming less and less distinct. Like you can look at someone and say, I don't know it. Like you, you could be 25 <laughs> But you could also be 15. And I have zero way of knowing just based on your picture from yeah. Instagram. Like, and that becomes a problem because a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old are very yeah. different mentally. Yeah. And I think we have to think about, like... I mean, I think it's just food yeah, for thought. And thinking about building in real life intergenerational connections again. Um, yes, where it once again feels like safe to rely on parents, grandparents, and to have that sort of community support that fell apart with the industrial revolution, and then even more so with the advent of like the nuclear family in the twentieth century, like ah, yeah. it's not. Wasn't a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was definitely not, not uh, the best plan for almost (laughs) anyone. But I think there is something to be said about, you know, kind of a questioning Mm -hmm. these assumptions of, okay, how, how adult should somebody be at certain ages um because it it, it, again you have this on one hand the contraction of adulthood into i'm 14 years old but i can do a full face of makeup do up my hair do the whole shebang Mm -hmm. for instagram but then at the same time that that's happening you also have a lot of like hand wringing over 
extended adolescence where it's like, oh no, someone who's 20 still lives at home. The world is falling apart. And it's like, no, for most of human history, that would have been pretty normal. Like, the kids are all right. It's, you know, we're all just in a very weird uh, time. Yeah. To be existing as someone between the ages of about 15 and 30. It's just a weird situation all around where you're on one hand expected to grow up really fast, but on the other hand, because of economic policy of the last 40 years, you often can't afford to do these things that would have been traditional hallmarks of coming of age, like, you know, moving out of the family home and having quote-unquote, like, long-term stable job slash career. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't really have anything else to say except that I think we're we're seeing, we're living through another, like, seismic Mm -hmm. shift in, you know, air quotes, youth, adolescent, (laughs) not quite seen as a full adult stage and yeah, what, what that means definitely. okay well next week we're going to be back together All together right. together for real uh, with yeah, a sound mixer. and probably much more coherent notes alright see you next time woo thank you so much for listening to the Bobby Yaga project if you want more awesome Bobby Yaga content, uh, you should join our Patreon where you can get access to bonus content, exclusive merch, um, our super special Discord, and extra book club content. Um, we want to specifically shout out these Patreon members. Yes, special thank you to John, the Age of Darkness podcast, Christian, Jessica, Jack CW, Whispering Sage, Annie, Adriana, and Katerina. We are delighted to have you on board, and thanks again for helping make the Baba Yaga Project possible. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Baba Yaga Project, and as always, thank you to all our patrons for making this project possible. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and her website for the most up-to-date happenings in the project. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It'll really help us continue the project and expand in some really exciting ways. And there's Patreon-exclusive merch! Thanks again, and we'll see you next week!